Welcome to AM Now, where we bring you the trending accounting matters we're following. I'm your host, Adam Olson, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nicole Harger and Matt Fisser. Each bite-sized episode keeps you and your finance and accounting teams in the know. Join us each week as we unpack these issues, topics, and accounting You're matters. You're listening to AM now. now, an accounting matters podcast. I'm your host, Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. We're bringing you several standard setter updates this week, including a recap of the FASB's most recent board meeting discussing several of their ongoing projects, as well as some updates on additional transition relief for the ISSB's new sustainability reporting standards. We'll also revisit a prior discussion we've had on both AM Now as well as accounting matters related to the recent SEC rule on executive clawbacks. This time, we'll be providing some regulatory updates on new listing standards released by both the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. So let's get things started. Adam, what's the latest this week from the FASB? Glad you asked. <laughs> so the FASB met last week and made several decisions on the proposed ASU for joint venture formations. The board affirmed its decision that a JV will be required to recognize and initially measure its assets and liabilities at fair value using a new basis of accounting upon formation. Specifically, JVs will account for its formation using guidance in ASC 805, regardless of whether the assets or group of assets recognized by the JV constitute a business. Goodwill will also be recognized as the difference between the JV's total net assets and its identifiable net assets when applicable. Negative goodwill could result from the formation of the JV, and in those cases would be recorded as an adjustment to equity. For contributed tangible and intangible research and development assets at formation, JVs will capitalize those assets regardless of whether those assets have an alternative future use or whether the JV meets the definition of a business. In addition, the board decided that a JV may apply the measurement period guidance in ASC 805 to the amounts recognized upon formation. If applied, JVs would need to disclose the reasons why the initial accounting is incomplete, as well as any adjustments made within the measurement period as a result of the initial accounting being incomplete. The board also affirmed its decisions to require that a JV needs to determine whether certain arrangements between the JV and the ventures are part of the JV formation or are separate transactions by applying guidance within ASC 805. The decisions included prohibiting JVs from analogizing the pre-existing relationship guidance in ASC 805 to certain transactions, providing guidance on situations where a JV replaces share-based payment awards at formation, and requiring that contingent arrangements that are part of the JV and classified as an asset or liability follow the guidance in ASC 805. The board decided that the proposed ASU will be effective for all JV formations with a formation date on or after January 1st, 2025. Early adoption is permitted. The standard will be applied on a prospective basis. JVs formed prior to the effective date can elect to apply the amendments retrospectively if it has sufficient information available. As next steps for the project, the board instructed its staff to draft an accounting standard update for vote by written ballot. And during this same meeting, the board also discussed feedback received from stakeholders on potential recognition and measurement models for accounting for software costs. Prior to this meeting, the board directed the staff to research two software cost models, commonly known as the single model and the dual model, which were discussed in this meeting. 
The initial development cost model, also known as the single model, would require an entity to capitalize all direct software costs from the point at which it is probable that the software project will be completed and the software will be used to perform the intended function. The second model or the dual model would require an entity to account for certain software costs as an expense as incurred model and other software costs under the initial development cost model. At the meeting, the board decided to continue its research on the single model and decided to not research the dual model any further. And I know we've had a lot of clients express interest around any potential accounting changes for software costs. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, this is something we will be monitoring closely as the board continues its efforts on this project. Adam, I know on the sustainability front, there have been some recent developments. What can you share with us there? Yeah, there's definitely been some developments there. So the ISSB met last week to continue discussions on additional transition relief to be provided in IFRS S1, the ISSB's general requirement disclosure for sustainability-related financial information. As part of that meeting, the ISSB tentatively decided to introduce additional transition relief for S1 that would allow an entity to report on only climate-related risks and opportunities, as set out in S2 climate-related disclosures. In the first year, it applies the ISSB's new standards. The entity would be required to provide information about its other sustainability-related risks and opportunities in the second year it applies the two standards. This relief will allow companies to use the first year of reporting to familiarize their organization with concepts and requirements within the ISSB standards, as well as update systems, processes, and controls necessary to report the information using climate first before reporting on other sustainability-related risks and opportunities. The decision to focus on climate-related disclosures in the first year aligns with the feedback the ISSB received highlighting that climate-related disclosures remain the top priority for investors who seek consistent and comprehensive information on this topic. Yeah, the full, the full package of transition relief for the first year of applying the standards now includes exemptions from providing disclosures about sustainability-related risks and opportunities beyond climate-related information, exemption from providing annual sustainability-related disclosures at the same time as the related financial statements, exemption from providing comparative information, exemption from needing to disclose scope three greenhouse gas emissions, and lastly, exemption from requiring the use of the greenhouse gas protocol to measure emissions if a company is currently using a different approach. The ISSB also decided that companies that only report on climate-related risks and opportunities in the first year be provided with additional relief from providing comparative information. In other words, those companies do not have to provide comparative information about their sustainability-related risks and opportunities beyond climate in their second year of reporting. Companies will still need to apply S1 in the first year they use the ISSB standards in order to meet the general disclosure requirements where they relate to climate. For example, S1 sets out the approach to materiality and requirements for connectivity of information with that in the financial statements, which are relevant to the disclosure of climate-related information. Yeah, one important matter to also highlight here is that the transition relief package does not change the effective date of S1. 
the ISSB tentatively decided back in February of this year to require that S-1 be effective for annual reporting periods beginning on or after January 1st, 2024. For entities that plan to use the transition relief provided by the ISSB, the board decided that those entities should disclose that fact. Next steps for the ISSB include the final issuance of S-1 and S-2, which are expected sometime by the end of Q2 of this year. The board also plans to consult on its future priorities for standard setting and will be seeking feedback on four additional projects that are focused on biodiversity, human capital, human rights, and integration and reporting to further understand their standard setting priorities. We'll continue to keep a close watch on the ISSB as they finalize their initial standard setting. And finally, some news on the regulatory front. Recently, both the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ filed rule proposals to adopt new listing standards implementing Rule 10D1 under the Exchange Act. That rule, commonly referred to as the Executive Clawback Rule, was adopted by the SEC last fall and requires national securities exchanges to implement standards to require listed companies to adopt and publicly file so-called clawback policies to recover erroneously awarded incentive-based compensation following accounting restatements. The proposed listing standards are subject to a 21-day comment period once published in the Federal Register before the SEC can approve them and must become effective by November 28, 2023. Listed companies on those exchanges will then be required to adopt clawback policies that comply with the new standards within 60 days of the effective date of the applicable listing standards. The listing standards proposed by both the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ are consistent with Rule 10D1 and its adopting release. Among other things, both proposed listing standards provide for the commencement of delisting proceedings for listed companies that fail to either adopt a compliant clawback policy or comply with such policy after a clawback obligation arises. While each of these proposed listing standards by the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ are not final, listed companies should begin drafting or amending their existing clawback policies to ensure alignment with the rule and listing standards. In addition, listed companies may need to review existing incentive-based compensation arrangements or plans and consider the need to include language that specifically subjects incentive compensation awards to the issuer's clawback policy. And there you have it for this week. For a deeper dive into what's trending in accounting and finance, check out our other podcast on the Accounting Matters feed on your preferred listening platform. Again, I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. Thanks for listening to AM Now. We'll catch, catch you, you next, next week. <laughs> this podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.